Good morning. Welcome to worship. What a great day to celebrate our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome everybody in online. We're glad that you're with us today, and we trust that the Holy Spirit will touch all of our hearts and minds and refresh our spirits and give us the right mindset that we can walk in step with the Holy Spirit and honor God in everything we say and do and all that we are in Christ Jesus. What a pleasure it is, isn't it, to know Christ? and to be saved. It's wonderful. It's a great gift to God, and we want to celebrate that this morning. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for who you are, a holy, mighty God, sustainer of all good things. All good gifts, Lord, come from above, and we thank you, God, especially for our salvation in Christ Jesus. We're thankful, Father, for the Holy Spirit's residence in us, through our faith in Christ, Lord God, that is a tremendous gift that you've declared us righteous. And so, God, we come in great gratitude and humility and with the love in our hearts that we've come to celebrate you today and to be renewed and refreshed and encouraged and blessed that we can be a blessing in your name to the world around us. Lord God, we pray especially this morning for the three that are arriving in their mission field today. And we ask God for all the luggage to arrive, all the health and well-being to be there for them and that, Lord God, the week that lies ahead will be very, very fruitful in all the times that they're there, that they will bring glory to your name and that lives can be transformed there too. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know what I just said, talk to me afterwards. God bless. Let's stand and sing. (laughs) All right. I wanted to start with a good hymn. Here we go. Before us, and all who will believe, 
Father, we're here to worship you, to honor you, and to just rest here in your presence, to abide in you, to listen to you, to learn from you. God, it's so good to be in your house, and we're so grateful for the cross, and this morning we come to celebrate what you've done on the cross in communion, and, and Father, we just pray that the battles that we fight that we don't have to fight, Lord, you have forgiven us, you've redeemed us. And Lord, we hand it all to you, and we thank you, Father, that you um, forgive us unconditionally and love us unconditionally, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Heavenly Father, God, we trust you. We love you. And we know that the ability to love you be comes because you loved us first. You showed us what love is and what love does. We've come to know you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so personally informed not just simply by your word, but Lord, we experience you because your Holy Spirit lives within us through faith in Jesus Christ. And God, our lives are changing. The world around us is changing too. But Lord God, what pleases you is when that direction is heavenly, when it's towards you and your glory and your holiness. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit residing in us is moving our hearts and transforming our minds, bringing truth to light that we can recognize what your holy will is, your good and perfect desires for us are, that you can see in us your image, Lord God. That's what we long for. That's what we expect. And God, we look forward to eternal life that you've given us that began the moment we first believed in Jesus. And for those that are searching here this morning, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will move their hearts and minds too and give them that living spirit that receives your love and celebrates it and enjoys all the wonders of who you are and what you do. And so, God, thank you that you go before us, you lead us. We don't know exactly what tomorrow will bring. We have ideas. But, Lord God, you know full well each and every moment of our lives. And so, God, we come and give you thanks and praise. May all that we are and all that we do please you and give you glory. As you've gifted us this wonderful treasure we have in Christ Jesus, we thank you, Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We'd like to read the Apostles' Creed aloud together. It's just a brief summary of many of the central elements of our faith. Let's read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Praise God. We've got such a wonderful Lord. Uh, the kids are free now to head down the hallway for Sunday school, and Gabe's here for the middle and senior high youth. So good to see you guys. Welcome, everybody. I'm sorry? Uh, there is no nursery care available, but the nursery is open. All of our nursery staff are out on vacation, uh, or definitely out of country even. And so uh, we're always looking for volunteers that are willing to minister in the nursery as well. So it's a good time to remind ourselves of that. Okay? All right. For those of us that are here in the sanctuary, I'd like to invite you to continue in the, the series of Romans. Uh, we're in Romans 8 this morning, uh, verses 1 through 14. What I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed too, is that sometimes when we read a longer section of what Paul writes, it sounds very confusing at first. I mean, it just sounds like this, that, and everywhere, and we get kind of cross-eyed and our brains freeze up. 
And so I'll read the 14 verses for us this morning as a collective, but then we're going to break it down into parts. So it's a little easier to digest and grasp what Paul is saying. I also want to encourage you to come again to worship next week because one of my favorite topics is adoption. Uh, not because I've been adopted, although that's very meaningful to me, but what Paul describes in the next sermon coming up next Sunday is tremendous. It is mind-blowing. It is earth-shattering, as all that Paul writes is. But there's something extra special, and maybe it's because I was adopted. It, there's something extra special coming our way next Sunday. If you want to read ahead, please do, but it's powerful. And uh, invite your friends and family to come. Cultivating the Right Mindset is the title for the sermon this morning. Therefore, after having described how we do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we want to do and it's just, we're just a mess and what a wretched man am I and who can save me from this body of death? And then Paul says, but thank you God for Jesus Christ our Lord. We're saved. So with that in mind, in all the turmoil of the last couple of chapters that we recognize in our own lives, Paul then goes into this wonderful first verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet, yet, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it isn't to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ Jesus we read these words, and your Holy Spirit is at work with these very texts, these very passages, to transform our thoughts, our mindset, that we are who we are truly in Christ. And when we believe that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, 
when we believe, Lord God, that he rose from the grave, we know, Lord, that that is tremendous good news and that even though we fall short, even though we sin, all of our sins are forgiven and there's now no condemnation, none, zero, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord God, you've declared us righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And Lord God, we've received the good news. We've read about it in Paul's writings. We've read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've read about it even back in Genesis 3. Lord God, the gospel is there. It's there for the world. It's there for everybody. It's not our achievement. It's your gift. We acknowledge this. And in humility, Lord, may this text come alive in all of our hearts and minds today that we could have the right mindset, that the world could see Jesus more clearly in and through us, and that, Lord, if our mindset isn't the right one this morning, that your Holy Spirit will birth in us a living spirit, alive to Christ, and the good news that he's brought to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 8 is a... I thought it was like a breath of fresh air. I mean, chapters... The previous two chapters, six and seven, were all about what do we do if we sin? I mean, chapter five was really upbeat, we're saved, you know, Christ died at just the right time for us and all this. And then chapter eight, we get back to this wonderful uplifting message. In between was this zone of tension and anxiety and what are we gonna do? And it just settled all that anxiety and gave us peace that we are who we are in Christ Jesus. Even if we sin, which we don't wanna do, but we do, and Paul wrestled with it himself. And he said, I feel wretched about it. It's crazy. It's a crazy maker. But nevertheless, we are who we are in Christ. Praise God. Just to give you a little sample, verse uh, 1 in chapter 5 said this. Since we've been justified through faith, faith in Jesus, right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful statement. We're not at war with God. We're not opposed to God. We're not enemies of God. We're not condemned by God. We do not suffer the wrath of God. We have peace with God through not our works, not our achievements, not our attitudes, not our performance, through Jesus, through faith, through trust in what Christ has done for us. Then you get the interim period where we've just been through a couple of chapters where there's this wrestling match with, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Paul's trying to answer questions before people ask. And there's quite a lengthy discourse on what does sin mean in our lives? Where does that take us? Where does that leave us? How do we deal with it? And those were rough chapters, real life, that we all know and I think could identify with. Then he gets to chapter 8, and he reiterates basically what he's saying in chapter 5. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're right back to peace with God. I've got uh, bookends. For a while, my, my children would say, or Jenny would say, what do you want for your birthday or Christmas? And I don't know, at my age, I just kind of get whatever I want as I bump along, right? So it's not like I'm missing something. But I said, well, maybe some bookends for my shelf. So I've got lots of different bookends in there. And there's one, because I like to fly, it's an airplane. And it's basically cut in half. So the tail's on one end and the nose of the plane's on the other end. And that's like chapters five and eight. It's one airplane split in half with a bunch of sin in the middle. <laughs> it issues of sin in the middle. Wrestling matches with our very nature, our sin nature. And that's kind of how I see chapters 5 and 8 being like bookends. 
And here we are back to that positive, affirmative, who we are in Christ, let's move forward. There's some cautionary tales in here, but generally speaking, this is meant to reinforce and encourage us that we live in the grace of God in Christ. A little sampling of those that weren't familiar with what we went through, just little snippets from chapters 6 and 7. 6, 1, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And what was the obvious answer? I mean, can we take grace for granted? Great, Scott, no! And in fact, I was surprised. That was one of my favorite ones, by the way. Should we go on sinning so grace might abound? No way! And then I was surprised a little bit in my studies in preparatory for all the sermons I've preached that he does this a lot. Should we do this? No way! Should we do that? No way! It's like it's inconsistent with our true identity. Could we sin knowing that grace increases all the more and we're forgiven constantly? Sure. But Paul says, but why? That is just so inconsistent with who we are in Jesus. So let's look at another one. 6.12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Things that are opposed to God. Don't let that happen. It's a willful choice, but still temptations come unwillingly and come unbidden, and they happen, and sometimes we fall prey to those because the world around us encourages us to join them. Kind of like the guy in Alaska who said, let's just go fishing. Don't worry about your sermon. You can wing it. He didn't come to church on Sunday, so for him, what did it matter? That's the kind of thing that can kind of rope us into that invitation to let God sit on the sidelines in our lives. 721, so I find this law at work, Paul says. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Yep, that's the reality. All of us experience temptations, and sometimes we sin. We fall prey to those things. Then, with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we confess it and repent, and we get back on track with our eyes on Jesus, right? This is what Paul says, though, in those chapters. We're struggling with these things. Then in 7.25, the second part, he says, So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. In other words, the law of love, the law of, of loving God and loving neighbor, the ethics of God. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. There's a principle at work in Paul that's counter to what God would want Paul to do. And Paul acknowledges that. He's very transparent. He's very open. And I really identified with what I preached last Sunday because I think it's true for all of us. None of us are perfect, but we'd like to be. All of us would want to be that wonderful person in Jesus Christ that the world can see us and say, wow, you're very different. You're not like everybody I know. There's something very holy about you. Um, I would love to hear that. And that's my aim. How about you? But Paul says sometimes we fall short. Kind of like when my neighbor next door saw me throw my dog out the, the, the side door of the garage, airborne. I was mad. Big 90-pound dog. Out you go. And I looked up, and there's my neighbor looking at me. <laughs> I guess even ministers get mad sometimes, right? <laughs> Apparently so. Praise the Lord. Jesus loves you. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things happen. We, we, they're kind of unavoidable, aren't they? But thank God for grace. It's such a good thing. The key to understanding ethics in our lives is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not just us. We're not just told by God, now pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's get on with it. You're expected to do the hard work, so let's see some sweat on that brow. Let's see you work. Let's see you do this. There's no excuses. Get to it, young man, young woman, 
Let's see it happen. God says, yes, those are ob obligations and expectations that we should live accordingly, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us or empowers us and puts the desire in us to do that. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd, we'd be sunk. And so it's interesting, you may not have noticed it, Paul has only mentioned the Holy Spirit one time in all the previous seven chapters. In chapter 8, he mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times. Do you get what he's doing? When he gets to the rubber meets the road, when he gets to the life in the Spirit, when he gets to honoring God, he says one of the key pieces is to recognize who lives in you through faith in Jesus. And it's not just on us to perform and behave, but we can trust the Holy Spirit to help us do that. When my dad came to faith in Jesus, he stopped swearing. He didn't even know it. And I pointed it out, and he said, what? I just said, that is a miracle work of the Holy Spirit right there, Dad. It's not, you didn't do that on purpose. That was the Holy Spirit helping you to do this. I didn't even tell him to stop. God just put it on his heart. It just changed him. I've heard that from others. Others that have grown up in different churches. I was just talking to some relatives the other day. They grew up in a church that was very rather legalistic, it sounds like. And it was all about performance. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And they were brought up with the do's and the don'ts. There's lots of religions on the planet that have do's and don'ts. But none of them, but one, ours, our faith in Jesus, say that we're saved not by the do's and the don'ts, we're saved by the grace of God and what Jesus did for us. That is very unique and sets us free that everything we do is in response to love and not duty and obligations and do this and don't do that or God will be mad. Or if you do the right things, then God owes you and you can stand at the judgment seat of God and say, but God, I did all these wonderful things. Don't you owe me favor? God doesn't owe us anything, Right? Thank God for grace. So Paul elaborates on all that. So that he answers some questions that may come to mind. One, how can I stand up under temptation? How can I deal with this? We're surrounded by temptation. Even things pop into mind. How can I, when I've sinned, be assured of my salvation? How do I know that I'm not in and then I'm out and then I'm in and then I'm out? How do I know that I'm saved constantly? Where's the assurance of my salvation? And then also, how can I know if I'm truly a Christian? How do I know that I'm really saved? How do I know that my sins are actually forgiven? Those are basic questions. And I think in these passages, Paul gets to those questions, and he gives us the answers. So let's look at the first point in our outline. Believers live according to the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Verses 1 through 4, Therefore, there is now no condemnation, for those in Christ Jesus, because, because, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Freedom. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, in other words, I couldn't pull it off. Moses couldn't pull it off. Nobody but Jesus Christ could live into the law. Fully, we're all sinners, fall short of the glory of God, except Jesus. So, because of what Jesus did for us, then we're set free from the law. And I'll get to that a little bit more. God did by sending his own son in the likeness 
of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Jesus did it, but the requirements apply to us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. One of my go-to verses as a pastor and even as an individual, when those moments come where somebody might sit down with me and say, I'm really not sure what God thinks of me, or I'm not sure that when I stand before God, it's going to be okay. You know my clue to that is? People will say, when I die and meet God face to face, I hope it turns out okay. What do you mean you hope it turns out okay? Is that kind of like an iffy thing? Like maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe I'm deluded and think I'm going to heaven and I stand before God and God says, nope. That's frightening. So I go to the basic passage of Romans 8.1. And I say, if you are a believer that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and buried and rose from the grave, guaranteeing our eternal life. If you believe that and you trust, then the Bible says you've been, you, you are now in Christ. And remember what Paul said earlier? When you're in Christ, he says you're baptized in Christ. Has nothing to do with water. Has to do with total immersion in. It's like you, you're 100% now reliant on what Christ has done for you, and you surrender any thought that you can do something that makes God obligated, that God needs to reward you with eternal life and forgiveness because you've been good. You let that go. That's all karma stuff. You get what you deserve. That's, that's what the whole world offers. All religions but Christianity offers that path. Christianity says you'll never achieve that. You, God does not owe us anything. What do we do with our sins? The world really doesn't have an answer. They just say, well, if you're good, outweighs the bad. Maybe you need to be born over and over and over until you get it right. All those answers are out there, and they all lead to death. The only way out, the only way out from under the law, which points out our sin, who reveals to us how far away from God we are without Jesus, the only way out is to trust Christ to fulfill that law for us that then gives us liberty that we can live now and forever in freedom and in love, knowing that we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. This is the key wonderful blessing that we've been receiving day by day, day in and day out, by the work of God in our lives. And we're thankful for Jesus. So my go-to, when people wonder how it's going to turn out, they've got reservations, I say, hey, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yes, God disciplines those he loves, but he doesn't condemn us. Condemnation is impossible because Christ has died for us. And thank God for that. If you believe the gospel, then you're immersed, totally surrounded, encompassed. When Christ died on the cross, we died with him. That's what the message would be. Our sins were taken with us, with him, on the cross. It's all bound together. This is what Christ has done. When he died in the tomb, we were buried with him. When he rose from the grave, we were resurrected with him already. Jesus fulfilled the law, we fulfilled it too. Did we do all that ourselves? No, Christ did it. And when we're immersed in Jesus, then everything he did is ours. It's a gift. That's what grace is, a gift.
And that's what Paul is reminding us of. And that gift leads then to the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, within us. Everyone who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit in them. Now, some, some Christians would say, unless you have this gift of the Spirit or that attribute of the Spirit, you're really not filled with the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, but you're not really filled with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe they might say you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But if you remember, baptism means all in. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are all in. There isn't any half filling or three quarters or more or less. You've got the entire being of the Holy Spirit in you, resonant with you, in you, and that guides our lives and ensures our lives now and forever, liberating us. The result is a mindset. The Holy Spirit in us is a mindset because there's a battle that goes on. One Paul describes as the sinful nature. Now, the sinful nature in Greek is sarx, S-A-R-X. Sarx is translated flesh sometimes, but then that can get us confused because if Jesus was born in the flesh, then we might assume that Jesus was born with a sinful nature. So a lot of commentators and, and Bible translators don't like to use the word flesh. They want to avoid that confusion. So then they say, well, it's a sinful nature. Did you know what Paul wrote? Did you see what Paul wrote? Jesus came in the likeness of Sark's flesh, like us. But he doesn't have that sinful nature, only the likeness of the appearance, right? Fully human, but without sin. So Paul's very careful about this. And when Christ was condemned on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, you ever familiar with the word double jeopardy? Double jeopardy means you can't be tried for the same crime twice. If a jury says you're innocent, you can't be retried and declared guilty. That would be double jeopardy. When Jesus died on the cross, there was the condemnation. When you're in Christ, can you be retried? You see what I'm saying? Are you on your own trial? Do you have to stand on your own two feet? Do you have to be right before God on your own? You will not be rejudged. The condemnation has already happened. Now there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I hope that's clear. You shouldn't have any qualms about meeting your maker. What does Satan do, though, in our mind? Remember that time? Or where are your thoughts right now? What were you thinking? What were you dwelling on? Why were you dwelling on it? What if you keeled over right this minute in the pew? Don't do that. But what if you did? What if I did? And my thoughts aren't pure and holy. Am I okay? Go right back to 8-1. There is now no, now, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Don't you find that as wonderful as I do? I find that liberating and freeing, and I can love, and I can celebrate life, and I can celebrate Jesus, and I don't have to walk around like a sad hound dog. Woe is me a man of unclean lips. I'm doomed. Maybe God likes me better yesterday than today. That None of that is like that at all. We are liberated and free and loved and dearly embraced and never let go. That's God's wonderful gift for us. Then, secondly, then, okay, we've got this Holy Spirit in us. Paul's really bringing the Holy Spirit home. He wants us to understand who we are in Christ and that we're not alone, that we're not on our own, that we are truly, truly in union with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, 
We're children of the Father. We're sons of God and daughters of God. This is huge. Let's look at what this then brings. My mindset reveals my future life or death. My mindset is a revealing element in my life that helps me understand where I'm at spiritually with God. Verses 5 through 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature, the sarks, have their minds set on what that nature desires. And there's all kinds of lists of what that nature desires in the New Testament, all sorts. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. There are consequences of living sinfully opposed to God, in rebellion to God, not wanting to honor God, wanting to live in the world and like the world. The consequences are condemnation and death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace, or shalom would be the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, that wonderful whole wellness and well-being in every sense of the word. The, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. There's no inclination. There's no desire. There's nothing in them that wants to honor God and wants to fight against sin. They just go with it. Whatever suits their fancy, whatever hits their pleasure center in their brain, whatever that might be, they just want to do that because they're not even inclined to think of a different thing. Maybe they feel bad about what they do. Maybe there's remorse, but there's no confession and repentance and turning back to Jesus. It's not part of what's in them. So Paul says they cannot do that, not without the Holy Spirit. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So what's he saying? Well, the Holy Spirit is something like the creative God in Genesis 1 and 2. For God created the heavens and the earth, right? And we're all probably familiar with the Genesis accounts of creation. And the Holy Spirit has similar traits to that. For instance, God wills all creation, time and matter and space. Yes, okay. God sustains everything that he's made, right? And God sets the conditions here for just the perfect life on earth prior to sin, right? Genesis 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit has something very, very similar going on in our lives. For one thing, the Holy Spirit creates a living spirit in a believer where there once was nothing, a dead spirit that wasn't alive to God. The Holy Spirit sustains us through thick and thin, the joy and salvation, regardless of circumstances that we have in Christ. That's the Holy Spirit sustaining us, even in times of trouble and doubt and misery and anxiety and stress and distress, and grief, the Holy Spirit is there abiding in us constantly, and we have that foundational peace that we go back to and we say, thank you, God, I know that you're there with me. And we sang a little bit about that earlier in the service. The Holy Spirit also perfects our spiritual condition. I'm a work in project, or pro I'm a work in process. How about you? I'm a project of God. I have issues in my life that the Holy Spirit is working on. How am I not afraid to say that? It's because I would be untrue to the Word of God. First John's Word to us tells us that if we claim we're without sin, then the truth isn't in us. If I say that I no longer have a sin nature in me and I'm the holy man, then I should be cross-legged on the top of a mountain peak in the Himalayas. You know, and everybody's going to try and find me. That's not true. 
We're all a work in progress. But here's the key piece. On my own, I'll never arrive. But with the Holy Spirit in me, I'm guaranteed that I, in fact, and you will arrive to that place where we see God face to face and we are truly holy and right with God in every sense of the word. Shalom, the entire well-being. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work you're doing in all of us that's shaping us and making us who you, who you know and see us to be already. Your life and the outcome of your life is revealed in your underlying way of thinking, and this is what I wanted to bring out. The mind in Greek is really a mindset or life orientation. How do I know I'm a Christian? By what I'm oriented by or to and what controls or dominates or has authority over my life. Am I living according to the world's values, the world's attitudes, the world's ways, the pleasure over here, the short-term stuff? Am I interested in that? Is that what really drives my life? Is that the flagship? Is that the commanding general in my life? Or am I oriented to a life with God? I want to live for God. I want to honor God. I want to worship and serve and minister in the name of Christ. I want to be a blessing, to love God and love my neighbor. Is that my life's orientation? If my mindset is in a godly direction, then I'm not going to freak out and panic when I sin because I know that my life's orientation is to honor God. This is a sign of the Holy Spirit living in a believer. And it helps us realize how am I doing spiritually? Where am I at really with God? Is my life's orientation just roll with the punches, go with the world, agree with everything the world throws in my face? Or does the Word of God and the Holy Spirit lead me in a way that gives glory to God? That's a great question to ask. And so this morning, I just got a simple couple questions. One is, which of the two would you say dominates and has authority over you? Here's one. You struggle against God, and you identify with the world opposed to God. In other words, you don't like what God says. You've got issues with what God says. You've got alternative views or alternative answers or alternative lifestyles that are in opposition to what the Bible tells us. You're struggling with that, and you want to go with the world, and God's just a problem. God's getting in the way. That's not a good sign. Now, when we all sin, that's exactly what we're saying. God, you're, you're off-key. I think I know better. Okay, but that is not our life's orientation. But here's the other one. If you're struggling against sin that offends God, then that's a great sign that you are who you are in Christ Jesus. And we can ask ourselves, how am I doing spiritually today? Where am I at spiritually in my life? Where is my life's orientation? We're not talking about perfection or perfectionistic pursuits. We're talking about attitude and direction and the basic thrust of life in our, our, our very being and where we want to live and how we want to be. And when we all fall short, thank God for Jesus and grace, right? Now, I'm probably preaching to the choir because you are here. And maybe for those online, but there are others that aren't, and we need to pray for them if they're lost in the world. How many of us have relatives and friends that don't know Jesus yet? 
And you can see that the orientation in their lives isn't God, it's the world around them and their own self-centered interests. We need to pray for them, that the, that the Holy Spirit will give them a mindset, renew their minds, that brings them to saving faith in Jesus. It's very important. So what's your spiritual condition this morning? Thirdly, the Holy Spirit in me ensures my resurrection. Verses 9 through 11. You, however, you, the believers in Rome, the Christian community, you who are reading Paul's letter, who know Christ, are controlled not by the sinful nature, and he means controlled. It doesn't mean we don't have one. It just doesn't dominate us, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anybody doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't, have, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Every real believer is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and every single believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there's life. Life now and life forever. Sin doesn't dominate us, although it troubles us. The Holy Spirit leads us, so there's no panic, no reason for doubt, no cause for concern when we see God face to face. God loves us very, very much. When you think about it, the Holy Spirit wouldn't choose to live in an unholy temple. So if the Holy Spirit lives in us through faith in Jesus Christ, what is our true identity? Holy. God declares us righteous. And it's a wonderful gift we've been given. The mind controlled by the Holy Spirit is life. Now that's not life like eternal life. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit is life. There's life inherent in the Holy Spirit. That life, inherent in the very nature of God, residing in you through faith in Jesus Christ, means you too have life. The God of life, the Spirit, is in you, guaranteeing eternal life. It's a wonderful blessing. There's an old hymn, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. I thought somebody might want to write another hymn. And the hymn would go like, the title would be, Because the Holy Spirit Lives Within Us, We Have an Eternity of Tomorrows. And I now know why nobody wrote a hymn with that title, because it's way too long. But it is so true. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have an eternity of tomorrows. That's a gift. And then lastly, all this wonderful thing that we have, this wonderful thing we call life, and the wonderful living presence of the Holy Spirit in us, and who we are in Christ Jesus, immersed in the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Such a blessing. Then there is an obligation. The obligation has nothing to do with our salvation. Once we're saved by the act of God and the living presence of the Holy Spirit, then God does, in fact, expect us to do something. And so the fourth point is our obligation. In thanksgiving. Verses 12 to 14, therefore, and of course when he says brothers, it's brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it isn't to the sinful nature to live according to it. 
For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is one of those instances, by the way, where I'm reading from a 1980s version of the NIV, and some of the NIVs, the newer ones, have just put children or other things in there. There are some times where you don't want to mess with the word sons of God, because what Paul does is he's making us think of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he's tying Jesus Christ to our lives, men and women alike. So it's just a way of drawing us to remind us of who we are as sons and daughters of the Son of God. It's a powerful message hiding in there for us. So what's he saying? Well, we used to belong to the old self, Adam, and sin and death, and we were obligated to ourselves. We wanted to do what we wanted to do in any way we wanted to do it, and it was calamitous, caused relational issues, caused health issues, caused worldwide issues, all kinds of problems arise because we let it all hang out. In fact, I'm still surprised to this day that a third of Americans think we'd all be better off if there were no laws at all. I see nothing but chaos and calamity and disaster. The Bible says we're saved by grace, right? And the law is the law, the truth is the truth, right is right. And so we want to have a mindset that pleases God, not for our salvation, but for the world to see Christ in us and to honor God because we love him. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the comparison between verse 1 and verse 13. Did it occur to you that the last, that 13th verse sounds like we need to achieve our salvation? Let's look back to it again. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Does that sound like it's on us whether we live or die? This has caused some confusion because people think that Paul is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. There's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And oh, by the way, you better do something about it or you're condemned. Is that what's going on? Is Paul so confused? And people then might read verse 13 and say, I don't know, maybe it's on me after all, and I better shape up. But then I can't do an, oh, Lord, I'm, in, I'm right back to where I was before I was a believer. I'm not sure I'm saved. There is no difference between what Paul is saying in verse 1, which is very, very clear, and what Paul is saying in 13, which sounds a little more muddy, but I can clear it up. Paul is talking about our life's orientation. He's been doing that all along, our mindset. If you have a mindset that is set on the flesh, on the sarks, on the sinful nature, and it's not oriented to the Holy Spirit and good things that God wants and desires for us to be and do, then he says that's a sure sign that we're headed down the wrong road and we're going to die. But if you discover that by your actions you're living a positive direction, a holy life, and you want to please God, then that is a sure sign that you're in the right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That's what 13 is all about. It's not a conflict, but he's talking about the final judgment. Sheep and goats, wheat and tares, other language that's used. Paul is simply reflecting that, and he's saying, let's have a look right now on the general orientation of our lives, the mindset. And what's really intriguing is, what does Paul say in chapter 12? You don't have it in your outlines, but do you know there's a great therefore in chapter 12? He spends 11 chapters on background, getting us going, getting us thinking, 
resetting our thinking. And then he says, now let's renew our minds. Renew your mind. The world around us can really throw some stuff into our head. Paul says, you've got to think on a regular basis and remind yourselves who you are in Christ Jesus and let the Holy Spirit lead and trust him. Trust him. That's where goodness comes. So how can we cultivate a mindset that's in the Spirit? Just a couple of thoughts. First, don't let yourself progressively fall further and further afield, away from Scripture, away from the Spirit, into the world. Psalm 1, verse 1, is something we could all memorize. It's very easy to, to picture it. It's a progressive deterioration into the world and actually becoming like the world. And here's what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Do you see the progression? First it's casual, then it's deeper, and then you're actually becoming like the people you were hanging out with. You've adopted everything, all their values, all their attitudes, all their opposition to the Bible and everything else, God's ways. You've become like them. You've sat down now and become a mocker. It's a deteriorating life. The world sucks you in. You need to be aware that Christians are a minority in the world. There's many more voices out there that are speaking something entirely different. Remember the analogy of the frog in the kettle? The frog in the kettle, you put a frog in a cool kettle of water, and the frog is very contented. Then you turn up the heat, and as the heat rises, the frog becomes acclimatized. And it gets hotter and hotter, and pretty soon the frog is more comfortable and more comfortable until pretty soon the frog is boiled to death. The frog never gets out, never thinks to escape. That's the caution of where our minds go. We can't lose our salvation. Paul would never say that. But we can ruin our witness and our ministry, and we don't want to do that. Sin can also rob us of that very ministry, but not our salvation. The best one, and remember last Sunday, I, I kind of blew it a little bit because I was thinking ahead, the sermon title, Smoking. Now, here's what I was talking about a week later. This is what I'm talking about. Your salvation is secure in Christ Jesus, even though sometimes our lives are a little iffy. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, the judgment day, will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If what was good and eternal and treasures in heaven that we've laid up, those are the sorts of things that last, he'll receive his reward, which is what? Eternal life. Well done, good and faithful servant, that kind of thing. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. Here's the key piece. He himself will be saved. It's not on works that we're saved. By the grace of God, we're saved. But only as one escaping through the flames. That's where the smoking comes from. Aren't you glad for grace? And Paul never mixes grace plus works for salvation. Never. Not one time. So when we read Paul, we need to understand that that is the underlying theology of the entire scriptures. We're saved by an act of God, not on our own. So we're obligated then by God to cultivate a godly mindset with godly living as a result. Sermons are great. Thank you for 
for uh, giving me the privilege of preaching. I have probably preached over 1,700 sermons by now. But if you get a whole year's worth and you never miss a Sunday, it adds up to about 40 hours. I bet you get more multimedia in your life than 40 hours a week, right? And so I'm giving you 40 hours a year. It's a great thing. I'm feeding you a meal. I'm being fed too. I get fed all week and I get to share the best parts with you. But that's not enough for me and it's not enough for you. We also need to think about cracking that Bible open and reading it and not just routinely, you know, maybe at 9 o'clock that's what you do or at, in the evening that's what you do. Don't do it to get it done. Do it to really get into it. Otherwise, it's just activity with no actions, no response. So crack that Bible open. Don't be that person that says, Pastor, I don't read my Bible. That's your job to tell me what it says. I want you to do it. And that's why I preach the way I preach. I want to teach you how to fish. I don't just want to hand it to you. I want to teach you how to do it, how to get into it, how to digest it, where it takes you, to break it down and to make sense of it. So that when I'm gone and dead and in heaven and cheering you on, you'll be the new leaders for another generation that says, this is what it's all about. This is how you read it. It's so exciting. There's so much good stuff there. Let's unpack it. And aren't we grateful for God's grace? The world needs that. So add a Bible study to your life. James Tour, that nanoscientist that I showed you the video of, the really great testimony, he says elsewhere that he reads, he's been reading his Bible every day for 40 years. And if you didn't catch it in the testimony, his own mother started reading her Bible, and it was after that that she came to faith in Jesus. The Bible renews the mind of a Christian and brings to mind in those who aren't Christians yet the truth. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word. It's great. Then frequently, oh, and then Psalm 1, 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. This is something we can work on to renew our minds. Frequently ask yourself, what's my spiritual condition? And then pray for God to help you recognize it. This is another psalm, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There needs to be a willingness then to apply. We want to do that. If we're going to ask, then let's be ready to go. And then monitor what feeds your mindset. I really think that Philippians 4, 8 through 9 is a beautiful couple of verses that are all positive, helping us think about the right things, putting some positive stuff in there. Paul writes, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's the mindset, right? Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I, uh, I have just had so much fun reading Romans. I have never done such an in-depth dig before. I've read Romans many times. I have my favorite verses. I hope you have your favorite verses. Some of my favorites are, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Another one is, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I've got several of them. Romans 8, 1, there's no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 12, renew your minds, then you'll know what God's perfect, pleasing will is, and you can carry it out. There's so much in Romans. It's like the Mount Everest, but it's not alone. All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of Scripture is worthy of reading. All of Scripture is beneficial. And I just want to encourage you to dig in. And I've got a little homework for you. I am excited about what's coming up next Sunday because I've never been so blessed like I was when I was studying ahead for next Sunday's sermon. Having been adopted, of course, my ears always prick up, and it's like, oh, a passage mentions adoption. Oh, you may not see the word adoption in next Sunday's text, but I'll give you a little homework. It's there. Go find it. NIV doesn't use the word adoption, but it's there in Greek. I'm not going to tell you to find it in Greek, but you can find it. So that's your homework. Dig in, and then the most wonderful affirmation of the saving work of Jesus is coming in Paul's letter. What has Paul been doing? We're saved by faith from first to last. Don't get lost in the weeds. Well, then, Paul, is living for Jesus important? Oh, absolutely important. And you're going to fall flat on your face sometimes. And you're going to feel really crummy. Or somebody you hurt will feel crummy. The whole sin is just nasty. It's harmful. It's hurtful. It tears us down. It doesn't build us up. And Paul says, yeah, and that's the world we live in. And that's the struggle we have, even in the Holy Spirit. And aren't we even more grateful that we're saved by faith and not by works? But what's our obligation then once we're saved? To live into the works, to live into the love of God, and to love God and love neighbor and worship and serve and minister as the Holy Spirit leads us. I find that challenging. And I also find it wonderful. People need meaning and purpose and hope and community. Those four things are what everybody's looking for. Meaning, purpose, hope, community. Those four are at the top of the list, and they're all there in Christ Jesus. <laughs> We're so blessed. On the night that Christ was in the upper room with his disciples, he took bread, and after giving thanks to the Father, what's he, now think, What's he thanking the Father for? He's thanking the Father that his death on the cross will take away our sins. He's thanking the Father that his work is our work. He's thanking the Father that many will be saved by faith in what he's going to do. I think that's what's all inherent. And after giving thanks to the Father, he broke it. And he says to the disciples and to all of us, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant and it's all sealed in his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Isn't it interesting? This is not the means of salvation. He says this is a memory of what he's done. It reminds us, because we forget. This is a great opportunity for us to remember and have a renewed mindset that we are who we are in Christ Jesus. You're free. Celebrate life. Have fun. 
enjoy. What does the Bible say? Rejoice. And again I say, in case you missed it, rejoice. Joy in the Lord. Paul gets into some heavy stuff. Let's not forget we're rejoicing. <laughs> Praise God. We have such a good life. Praise God. I want to just take a moment and just let us pray. Whatever is on your heart, your mind, you want to thank God, you want to confess sin, whatever it might be, let's just take that moment. Maybe you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Only the Holy Spirit knows. But let's just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for communion together. It's a great privilege to come to your table, invited by you to come in faith, knowing, Lord, Dad, that we are celebrating with your Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of Christ. We thank you, God, for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that we are no longer condemned, that we are at liberty to love and to be loved, to know you, to have that intimate relationship with you as your children. Lord, thank you. And we praise you, Lord God, and we're so grateful for what we have in you, who we are in you, and that you're refining us and molding us and shaping us. And Lord God, sometimes we might say with Paul, what a wretched man or woman I feel like right now, but thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We live a life of rejoicing, gratitude, thanksgiving, praise. <laughs> we're part of your family. And so, God, as we come to your table, we pray that you'll refresh our spirits. We pray that you'll renew our minds, that when we go out into the world today and we hear all the other voices and all the other values and all the other perspectives, that, God, we'll be salt and light, that we will be representatives, ambassadors for Christ, and that we will live into your calling in our lives to give you glory and praise and honor, and may the truth be told. And may your Holy Spirit bring that truth home to the world around us as well. A truth rooted in love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you're able to, uh, come on down the hallway down the center aisle here and two lines, and you can take the bread and then take the cup that are on either side. If you need gluten-free, it's right here in the middle. If you're unable to come up, please just raise your hand so I can see you and we'll bring communion to you, okay? I want to make sure everybody gets served that would like to be served. If you're not uh, wanting to come up today, nobody's going to elbow you. We're not going to sing the hymn again and again and again until you cave in. This is you and God and your heart and your love, and you're all invited. That's the love of Jesus. So come to the table.
died with Christ, now I'm reborn. Yes, He washed me in His mercy, and He cleansed me with His blood. Now I stand complete, I have been set free, I found life there in the Praise the Lord with me. And that's a hallelujah we can share with the world. Praise the Lord. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I trust that all of us are going to have a wonderful 4th of July. 
if you don't know what to do with yourselves on the 4th, usually my neighborhood right over here has all kinds of free fireworks going on. We haven't spent a dime on fireworks in over 27 years. So um, come on over to our house and we'll meander through the neighborhood and um, meet some neighbors and say hello. How's that sound? So if you're, if you're lonely by yourself, come on over to the Martin house. And uh, we'll have some goodies and some fun, okay? All right. And may the love of the Father and the sacrific grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the love and love and love and eternal life we have in the presence of the Holy Spirit in all of our hearts, guaranteeing, securing, sealing our salvation and eternal life, be with you now and forevermore, guaranteed. And all of God's people could say, Amen. May the joy of the Lord fill your hearts. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.